Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This week, we are talking about vaginal bleeding again, and the most important thing to remember about these cases is the pregnancy test. The point-of-care pregnancy test in females of reproductive age is one of the big three stat tests in all of emergency medicine, the other two being EKGs and finger stick blood glucose. You always need a pregnancy test. Now, let's say this time that a woman comes in with vaginal bleeding, and it turns out she is not pregnant. If the patient is unstable, they need blood, they need OB and resuscitation. That's easy. But what if she's stable? These ones are a little bit trickier. How do you manage those? Well, the first thing you need to understand is the cause of the bleeding. And there are three big categories that you need to know. The first one is structural. And the main can't-miss diagnosis here is malignancy. Postmenopausal vaginal bleeding needs to be evaluated for malignancy. There are other structural causes too, like fibroids, polyps, adenomyosis, all incredibly common. But again, postmenopausal vaginal bleeding, the life threat is malignancy. The second category is coagulopathy. This is a huge category. This is about 20% of your patients actually who come in with non-pregnant, vaginal bleeding, they have a coagulopathy. And then the last category here is hormonal issues. This is called dysfunctional uterine bleeding, anovulatory bleeding. Thyroid kind of can affect this too, but hormonal issues is your third big category. So those are the three. Structural, especially malignancy in postmenopausal females, coagulopathy, and hormonal issues. Now, Let's go through our approach. After you get the pregnancy test and it's negative, so you know it's not an ectopic pregnancy, this is what you do. Step one, exam, specifically pelvic exam. With vaginal bleeding and lower abdominal pain and vaginal discharge, all of those, it is my opinion that the vast majority of these patients, though not all, need a pelvic exam. The textbooks agree with this. I think there is a subconscious tendency with everyone involved, the patient, the doctors, to try and avoid doing pelvic exams. I've felt this myself, but I really think it's probably a mistake. They've researched this, and they've found that 5% of the time that the pelvic exam itself will change management. It's true that patients can self-swab for sexually transmitted infections, and that the pelvic exam actually has a low sensitivity for different bad pelvic things. But I've personally missed a tubo ovarian abscess when I didn't do this exam. We have M&M every month, and we've had numerous cases of missed pelvic inflammatory disease and that type of thing. So it is my opinion that most of these cases do need a pelvic exam. And not only is this the type of thorough evaluation that I would personally want my family to receive, but I think it also shows your attendings that you are thorough and willing to do whatever it takes to help your patients. It is good for your slow. Then the other issue with this is specifically doing pelvic exams as a medical student, because I've been there. I mean, how do you say, hello, my name is Zach. I'm a white male. I'm a medical student. Can I please learn pelvic exams on you? I probably won't see much, so I'll be sure to bring a few other people into the room so they can look to and double check my work. 
I get it. Let me just kind of help you with this. This is how I kind of phrase things. I would say very confidently, my attending and I need to do a pelvic exam. We will have a female chaperone present for you as well and just own it. And most patients are going to go with it. If the patient starts getting concerned and says things like, how many times have you done this? You've already lost the battle. Again, I've been there. As a resident, too, I'll say this. It took me probably about 10 tries at doing these before I really knew what I was looking at and feeling for on the bimanual exam and really got proficient at this. And this, again, is as a resident. I had an attending with me until I felt comfortable with these. It was kind of similar to doing lumbar punctures and lines. It takes about 10 times before you really get comfortable with it. And it's totally legit to get your attending. And I would argue required to have an attending as a med student. But that's step one. You need to do a pelvic exam. Step two is your labs. The CBC is the most important. Specifically, you are looking at that hematocrit. But like I said before, coagulopathy is also very important in these women. So if you have any weird concerns at all, like bruising, easy bleeding, it's totally appropriate to get coags, PT, PTT, INR, to take a second look again at those platelets on the CBC and evaluate for coagulopathies. And then remember, too, there is that third category of hormonal type stuff. So a TSH can be a really good test here, too, if you're sending a bunch of other blood to the lab. So I, I typically, if I'm sending blood, we'll get a CBC, some coags, and thyroid-stimulating hormone. Step three is get an ultrasound. This is like the definitive test for structural causes. Now, again, you definitely don't have to get an ultrasound on every non-pregnant female with vaginal bleeding. But if you have any concern for a structural problem, I would argue that it's probably appropriate. But that's kind of your, your basic workup. Pelvic exam, some basic labs, CBC coags, TSH, and an ultrasound. Now, step four, your first-line treatment is NSAIDs. NSAIDs are, again, first-line therapy for pretty much all pelvic pain and bleeding. And this is kind of counterintuitive because NSAIDs cause GI bleeding issues. Aspirin is an antiplatelet. But in pelvic pain, vaginal pain, vaginal bleeding, NSAIDs actually decrease pain and decrease bleeding more so than pretty much any other medicine. So these patients need NSAIDs as long as they're not pregnant. Step five, your other therapy are hormones. Remember, our three causes of bleeding here. You got your structural stuff, but you did a good exam. You maybe got an ultrasound, and that's ruled out. Coagulopathy, but you either ruled it out clinically or you sent some labs to rule that out. The third category is hormonal issues. And so the treatment is hormones. And what we always use is an oral contraceptive pill or progesterone. Since you're a med student, it's totally fine if you look up the dosing, but for dysfunctional uterine bleeding, anovulatory bleeding, hormonal causes of bleeding, these patients benefit from an oral contraceptive pill. And what these do is essentially override the patient's malfunctioning hormone axis. It stabilizes the endometrial lining, making it basically grow huge. And then when the patient withdraws from that hormone supplementation and they stop taking that medicine, they get this huge bleed, it washes out and cleans out the entire uterus and the issue is kind of solved for that cycle. So that's kind of what hormones do. But again, let's just kind of wrap this up here. Three categories of non-pregnant vaginal bleeding. 
structural causes, specifically postmenopausal vaginal bleeding is cancer until proven otherwise, coagulopathy 20% of the time, and otherwise all of those hormone-related issues. Our approach, pelvic exam, labs, specifically a CBC, coags, TSH, ultrasound if you have a high suspicion for structural causes, NSAIDs, and oral contraceptive pills. And that wraps up this episode. This week's USMLE Step 2 Secrets question is, in a patient with Von Willebrand disease, I'm going to throw this in, Von Willebrand's disease is the most common coagulopathy causing vaginal bleeding. What is the most common lab abnormality in your coags that we sent, your PT, PTT, INR platelet count? Now, this is not 100%, but the answer is that the PTT many times will go up. Why is this? Many patients with Von Willebrand disease have low levels of factor eight, and this increases the PTT. Send me an email, zach at emclerkship.com, with any comments or questions about this episode. I would love to chat with you, and until next time, Keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.